Monday, August 14th, and this is episode 16 of Precious Snowflakes Podcast. I'm Ben Phelps. And I'm Lelius Rose. And I'm Chris Villarreal. Yes, you are. Today we'll be discussing uh, two exciting rallies you all may have heard about. One in Charlottesville and another in Seattle, uh, which occurred a day apart. Uh... I don't know to what degree we need to recap the events of Charlottesville. The short version is a rally was planned uh, originally to defend uh, monuments to Confederate leaders. Specifically Robert E. Lee. Yeah, there's a statue in a park. In, in Charlottesville. Right. Of so, e. Lee. so a rally was planned to defend the statue of Robert E. Lee. And then to the chagrin of some of the people who organized it, uh, and to the delight of others, uh, actual literal Nazis and Klansmen and the like showed up. Uh, they showed up with tiki torches, hilariously. And... March through, yelling things like, the Jews will not replace us. Blood and soil. Blood and soil. And uh, uh, people like David Duke and Richard Spencer. All and, got uh, to speak. And Augustus Invictus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, whatever that or as yeah, Karen yeah. Ann referred to him, Augustus <laughs> Disgustus. Yeah. She has a, a lot of great names for him. <laughs> uh, and for those then, of you who don't know who Karen Ann Harless is. She's, uh, She's a member of the Libertarian National Committee and a wonderful <laughs> activist. She really is. Um, and, well, we also have, should we talk about your your exciting announcement? Well, that's sort of a side thing. I, well, we can maybe get to that at the end. But. Yeah, let's get to that at the end. Uh, <laughs> okay, we'll get to that at the end. Yeah, uh, you'll have to listen to the whole thing. So, oh, so Charlottesville, Charlottesville, literal Nazis, and... Facing off against uh, counter protesters, counter protesters, some of whom came armed, uh, some of whom did not, and at some point, one of the pro keep the statues Nazi Klansman types. The guy was obviously a white supremacist. It's been yeah. pretty well established. The guy who it's a step, yeah. Someone mowed mowed down a crowd of people with his Dodge Challenger. Yep, uh, with and killing of, ki- killing at least one, I believe. Killing at least one, injuring at least nineteen. Yeah, it was, and there's, I mean, there's been lots of videos. Uh, it's, I mean, it's incredibly disturbing and shocking. And yeah, for I mean, I've my seen part, it from multiple angles. It's he, he basically plowed. I mean, you've everyone listening is probably yeah. He plowed I, I have a crowd no of people and then and then backed up and did it again before fleeing the scene. Although, fortunately, he was apprehended shortly thereafter by the police but obviously uh you know tensions are, are running pretty high in this country right now people you know political violence is on the rise and it's it's alarming it's it's depressing and well, the thing that that strikes me more than anything else is just how little you know people those of us who aren't you know on the radical fringes <laughs> Those of us who aren't, you know, Nazis or or who are on different or, radical fringes, yeah. How how just unnuanced and how just brain dead most of the political dialogue is. Well, and then uh, why don't you tell us about what happened yesterday? Because that was a little different. Yeah. So there had there was them 
a rally that had been planned in Seattle a, um, by a, a group known as a Patriot Prayer, which just hearing the words Patriot Prayer probably conjures up a certain type of image of a certain type of group. You know, uh, you know, out here in, in Seattle, which is a very you know liberal city, we hear words like Patriot and we immediately think of you know, people, you know, in some place like Idaho stockpiling weapons, you know, we think of your like Randy Weaver types or maybe your, <laughs> you know, people like uh, Randy Weaver of the, the Ruby Ridge fame or even like Tim McVeigh people, you know, who are, you know, what do you, what do you call them? You know, survivalists, uh, sovereign citizens, sovereign citizens, you think of white people in camo, <laughs> <laughs> right. The term patriot has been so co-opted yeah. by various kinds of white supremacist Not uh, to mention what groups. Tom Brady's done for the term. Yeah. Uh, huh. that, that it's hard to hear that not just be like, uh-oh. So, there, it's, this group, uh, which held uh, what's known as a quote-unquote freedom rally, uh, was widely um, described by the media as being pro-Trump, and even in some, uh, by some outlets as being a uh, quote-unquote alt-right but that you know regardless of what the message was there was there, it, it did it did uh, attract a lot of counter-protesters some of them you know like antifa who are who are very you know militant and advocate uh, resistance and their words quote-unquote by any means necessary and uh a lot of other people who are just you know anti-racist who are you know, who were alarmed by what they saw happen in Charlottesville and wanted to come and come out there and, and stand against hate and bigotry and everything that the, that the Charlottesville rally symbolized. But, a, but a, a funny thing happened <laughs> at, the, uh, at what some people thought was literally going to be a Nazi rally and other people thought was going to be a pro-Trump rally. It turned out that the guy running the whole outfit is really more of a libertarian. Which really surprised me. <laughs> wah, wah. And he actually his his thing. This guy Joey Gibson, who who has re only recently become an activist and is kind of known for being a pro-Trump, you know, activist. And a lot of his uh, the people involved in his movement are definitely Trump friendly. But he he did a really interesting thing. I mean, he gave his talk, which was mostly about free speech, and then he invited. People in the crowd, uh, who were the counter-protesters, to basically come up and take the mic, and and speak their minds, and it was a really it was a really strange thing. There were people standing there in the crowd who were yelling, "You're a Nazi! You're terrible! Get out of here!" And then someone would come up and start speaking, and and basically denouncing Trump and racism and all that. And there were people way on the back who were like, "You're a Nazi! Get off the stage!" Not even realizing that the person up there speaking was actually one of them. <laughs> it was the strangest thing and you know i i think if it had if this rally had not been held the day after charlottesville happened maybe maybe it would have been different i think a lot of the i think a lot of the counter protesters were out there specifically in response to charlottesville i don't i mean ben what do you think what kind of people do you think <coughs> would have if charlottesville hadn't happened the day before what kind of response do you think would have come out do you think it would have just been a small thing that barely was a blip on the radar or no, I think been people, Antifa or, you know, Charlottesville 
which is like, God, already people Googling Charlottesville. Congratulations, people who live in Charlottesville. This is, you're going to have to explain this for the rest of your lives. Charlottesville's uh, a lovely town, by the way. <laughs> you know, the home of Thomas Jefferson's Monticello and the University of Virginia. It's a lovely, charming place and full of, you know, lovely people and beautiful architecture and in the blue, in the heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains. I, I, hope I know that, nothing of Charlottesville. Oh, it's, I, I mean, I, I would highly recommend going there. I mean, I, nothing for okay. the, the history. I mean, it's Thomas Jefferson's, you know, stomping grounds. I would like to see Monticello at some point. Well, it's in Charlottesville. Uh, mm. Anyway. Uh, as you were saying. As I was saying, I do think there was sort of a little bit of an awakening where people were like, wow, we've been accusing... Uh, pro-Trump people of being Nazis for so long. Now, literal Nazis show up. That confirms everything we think about people who are pro-Trump. Absolutely. So I do think that there's... That the hysteria, the, like, anti-Trump hysteria was ratcheted up by Charlottesville in a way that is not inappropriate. Uh, Not wholly inappropriate. I want to retell... uh, you know, a parable from my own life that I spoke of earlier. Um, In slightly greater detail, when I was in college, when I was a young man, uh, when I was in college, I went to a school, the University of Rochester, where the entire social life on campus was defined by Greek organizations, fraternities and sororities, and in particular, by fraternity parties. There was a sort of general cultural consensus on campus that it was an obligation of the fraternities to provide the social scene, the parties, the mixers, whatever. I uh, reached the point my junior year of, of becoming the elected president of my fraternity. And the first weekend that I was president of the fraternity... We were going to have a a big bash, big party that we had spent months planning for, more or less. Uh, And then something happened. On, I think it was the Thursday night, you know, first night of partying, two guys, both of whom I knew, uh, got into an argument in the basement at a fraternity party, at a different fraternity party, a DU. Uh, And long story short, one of them stabbed the other to death. Uh, I mean, he was stabbed repeatedly. He wandered up through the house into the fraternity quad and bled out in the snow. So, that was exciting. Uh, And it was hard to know who to blame. It's hard to know who is responsible. Was it the guy who did the stabbing? Well, in the end, that turned out not to be the case because it ended up being self-defense. So was it the guy who got stabbed? Legally, it was. Because uh, he had instigated the fight. Was it the fraternity's responsibility or the fault of fraternity culture or party culture or whatever? That was the immediate question for those of us in positions of leadership for fraternities. Is what's our role in this? And we were actually summoned to an emergency, all the presidents of every fraternity meeting with the associate dean of the college the next morning to discuss what this meant for Greek organizations. 
uh, and this fraternity, they had done everything wrong. They had basically let this happen. They had no one monitoring their basement. They had no one tending bar. They had no one bouncing. They had no one walking through the crowds to make sure people weren't stabbing each other. They did all the... Th they, they were just completely negligent. And my immediate response was, well, these guys were negligent assholes. We are fucking prepared. We never have problems like this because mm. we know what we're doing and we don't throw that kind of party. We throw better parties where people are safe. Right. And they don't have to be concerned. They don't have to worry. And yet, each fraternity chapter decided independently of each other and independently of the university that it was the wrong thing to do to go ahead. And we all canceled our parties that weekend okay. before we even had our meeting. And it came up and I was sort of like, I was very ambivalent about it. Uh, I had said like, yeah, let's, let's put it on hold. Let's announce that it's canceled. We'll see what happens. Well, and in the end, that turned out to be the right thing to do, even though it would have been a very different party at our place. Well, sure. Somebody died. Well, yeah. And in the wake of a tragedy, you know, there's all, there's often a sense of, okay, why don't we, you know, give ourselves some time to mourn and heal and, a little breathing and, room, and, yeah. and reflect on what happened. Although in in this case, you know, holding a political rally, I think the situation's a little bit different. I mean, there was basically a riot in Charlottesville. That's what it. I mean, there was the Tiki Torch march the night before, which was, which is a deliberate. You know, I mean, let's let's be honest about it. The idea is to intimidate and to terrorize people. It's a show of force. That's what it was all about. Well, and it ended and then, in an actual act of domestic right. terrorism. Well, yeah, in the in the in the car attack. You know, the rally in Seattle was supposed to be about, you know, celebrating, you know, freedom of speech. That, if, if you take them at their word. I think a lot of people would, would characterize it differently. They would call it a right-wing, you know, thing. You know, or just yeah. basically an attempt to troll liberal Seattleites and, and to bring out the counter-protesters. And that's, and I, and I think there is, that, that's, a, that's a valid, you know, point to make is that a lot of the, you know, I don't know if that's really the goal, but I think there are a lot of people who attend these rallies just because they want to have an opportunity to, to square off at the, with the, the opposition. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, right wing, you know, alt right type people who just, you know, they, they, just, the, the, their favorite, you know, form of entertainment is to go, you know, square off against Antifa. And likewise, I think there's a lot of people in Antifa who would never miss an opportunity <laughs> to go up against alt-right people. True. And, you know, it's, it's basically two sides. Who, all, they, all they really want to do is fight with each other. That's basically, they, they define themselves by their opposition to each other. That's really what they're all about. But, you know, the organizer of this particular thing, you know, Joey Gibson, I think actually does have a more nuanced message and a much nobler goal as far as what he's trying to accomplish. But I don't get the sense he's quite figured out exactly yet but how exactly to do it. Exactly what he's doing. It's kind of, he's definitely new to this. But listening to what he actually has to say, there's a lot of what he has to say that I really do like and think needs to be said. And I think a lot of people on the left and the right, you know, would, would do themselves a lot of good by listening to somebody who was like, hey, we all need to talk to each other and listen to each other and most of all, love each other. 
and not prejudge people before you even hear what they have to say. Yeah, you know, I on on both sides of the country. I mean, I it's. I, I'd say the the, the 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 mental block is is almost equal on either side as far as be just considering that that you know the if you're on the left or or the right that the other side has some reason for believing what they believe that doesn't involve some sort of mental illness. It's 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 just it's depressing and disheartening just how how little people are actually interested in you know, at least entertaining the other person's point of view, not, not changing their, their mind or, you know, switching sides, but just understanding that they're actually other human beings that actually have reasons for believing what they believe that aren't just about hating. Yeah. And, and so many people on the extreme ends, that's all they're about is, is, is what they're in opposition to. It's not about being <laughs> for anything. It's about let's, you know, go, go kick some Nazi ass, punch a Nazi or, or or let's go you know well, that's like let's the, go uh, out let's go you know like show the libtards a lesson it's it's just the the level of dialogue is just completely in the gutter well that's like the dnc slogan that became infamous as soon as it was floated mm-hmm. that was really have you seen the other guys <laughs> That was that was what like a month ago that they proposed that as a possible well, slogan. And I think that's a big reason why the, the the last year's election was such a shit show. You know, I mean, what is what is Trump for? I mean, he actually has some some things that he was oh, in yeah. favor of, like building the wall. Trump had know? some real clear, identifiable policy goals, yeah. many of which were horrible, mm-hmm. and the rest of which were stupid. Right, but. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. What they were there, they right? Were but there. they were there. There was actual content. There were, <laughs> you know, I, there were there were things like I, I don't want to use positive. I mean, I mean in a positive way, but they weren't just like about they what existed. He was, he was actually for something, right? They existed. Whereas the only people I have said before to a number of people that I feel like the Clinton campaign had no agenda, mm-hmm. and. People have argued with me, but the only people who have argued with me are people are people who volunteered for the Hillary Clinton campaign. Right. <laughs> and I think that is actually one of the best arguments in support of the idea that Bernie would have won. I'm a little skeptical of whether Bernie would have won, but I think the you can make a good argument that Bernie could have won just by pointing out that he actually had things he was running on. Oh, well, he could have against. he would have seriously cut in in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. We know that those were his strongest states. He would have been competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine that a lot of the Hillary supporters would have gone for Trump instead. I mean, mean, when it comes down to it, you know, there's the vast majority. I mean, I mean, I think Trump proved this more than anything else is that people will come home to their party at the end of the day. It, it takes really something earth shattering to push people away from their normal party allegiance and well, the definition and, and, of earth and people aren't going to vote changing. for third parties because they feel like they're throwing their vote away even though people you know gary johnson got you know how many millions of votes you know he, he got he, twice what he got in the previous round yeah. it was the most any libertarian candidate mm-hmm. ever received and one of the highest vote counts from a non-duopoly yeah. so candidate he, he did ever. pretty well but obviously it wasn't really ever in the game like seriously but if you would just swapped bernie out for hillary it's not like i mean who's right democrats would have gone home they would have they would have just been like okay it's an interesting parlor game but i I think to me the best 
the most compelling argument that Bernie would have won is just the fact that he actually had something he was for. And a lot of these people, like in places like you said, like Mich like, you know, your blue collar, you know, like factory, you know, people, you know, who who did vote for Trump because of economic anxiety or yeah. and those type of issues. Those are people that Bernie, I think, would have had a, a better shot at. But I digress. There isn't really about that. We're talking about, you know, political violence and lack of understanding yeah. and just mm. Yeah, but it's... What, 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 what do you think of this? The, I mean, well, you, you think... I, 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 re, I respect the idea that yeah, you know, they, they should have considered canceling it. And I know they considered canceling it. I don't, I don't really... I, I'm... At the moment, I am a little bit of ambivalent as to whether they should or shouldn't have. You know, fortunately, nothing, you know, horrible happened <laughs> at, the, at the Seattle rallies. It was fairly... Mm -hmm. I gotta hand it. The Seattle police actually did a really good job of protecting everyone and keeping the thing from getting out of hand. Unlike in I, Charlottesville, you know, I'll, well, I'll, I Chris, will say this. Say oh yeah, well, no, okay, just a quick sentence. Okay. Uh, they should have held the visual this week and the free speech rally next week. Yeah, and in, I mean, I don't know. It, the thing about, of course, holding rallies is it's not that easy to get a permit to hold a rally in the middle of downtown Seattle, and it takes a while. And, you know, to do the whole thing. But whatever. He Listen, did, I will, it, I will say, they did begin the rally by holding a moment of silence for the for the victims in, in Charlottesville. That was how it started out. Although there was a lot of... It should have been longer. Yeah, well... <laughs> you know... Yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that. But I, I still... That... I still take exception to people calling it a Nazi march. I don't think that's... No, no but I'm, it was... I'm, I'm just saying it was tone deaf, that's all. Some... It, it certainly could have been a lot more tone. It was, I, I'll say this, maybe it was a little tone deaf, but it pales in, conspiracy, in, in, in conspiracy? comparison to Trump's tone deafness and what he said. The fact that Joey Gibson was way more conciliatory and went out of his way more to condemn what happened in Charlottesville than the President of the United States, I think says a lot. Um, there, was a, there was a little Twitter spat between a, uh, a New York Times reporter and Ted Cruz. Mm -hmm. Because Cruz had an immediate response, yep. which was to write a formal letter to the Department of Justice recommending that they move to a domestic terrorism uh, investigation into this act, and that th and that this be thoroughly investigated, the whole rally, as an act of terrorism. And so, this reporter, the New York Times, basically said, like, uh, you're just trying to boost yourself for 2020. And Ted Cruz's response was, yeah, because neo-Nazis are such big fans of Cuban-Americans. <laughs> yep. Uh, like, that's... Yeah, I think, I think it's amazing that, like, the first two that I saw, on the Republican end at least, who, who were out there saying how horrible this was, were Cruz and Rubio, two Hispanic sure. Americans... Well and then following them, and especially following Trump's initial response, people like Orrin Hatch coming out. You know, Orrin Hatch's response was, my brother died fighting the Nazis. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I'd ever have to talk about this again. Trump, I, you just, I, I think it's just so clear that he just cannot bring himself to condemn anyone who, likes who, him. who supports him. Yeah. In his mind, it's like, well... If they like me, how can they possibly be bad? They must just be misunderstood, or well, or, or, or he just equivocates. You know, they're just 
they're they're just well, they're it's like they're bad, but the other side's bad too, and it sort of comes out. In the well, lot. the well, the funny thing is, like, that's not entirely wrong, but it's the wrong thing to say. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's considering wh- who got who got killed. Yeah, <laughs> this was not. Yeah, a Klansman didn't get murdered by an Antifa person. Oh, and by the way... It went the, the other way. If you were following, you know, like, the, the internets and social media in the in the hour or so before we knew who the attacker was, initially... Oh, they all so, assumed it was Antifa. Yeah, well, so. yeah, they, well, though they, they were actually circulating... Somebody decided to look up the license plate and, and mistakenly ID'd some, some kid who I don't even think is Antifa, but he kind of... I guess he's kind of a raver or something, or he's kind of... He looks like he's like a Bernie bro. Yeah, and so they just assumed that he was some. They basically they made the caricature of a of a teenage Antifa member, and they were throwing his face all over the internet. Right, and then he had to respond with like, "No, I'm not there." Apparently, I think it may have been that like like his dad had sold that car to the guy who actually who knows owned it. But anyway, it's like it it was all over 4chan, and it's just. I, I, and some people I know who are normally pretty reliable about posting stuff were posting that, and I was, I was, I mean, I was like, hey, you guys should really, you know, like wait for some sort of official word from the police. And of course, the Alex Jones crowd was already, oh, this is going to be covered up. The deep state is going. Well, to... <laughs> you know who Alex Jones blamed for the whole rally? George Soros. The Jews. Oh, the Jews. I was also the the George Soros is Jewish. Well, so. she had a. Alex Jones had like some uh, female correspondent who was out there doing covering it live, and I just remember she was she was sitting there giving us well you know I feel like this is George Soros and these are busting paid protesters and all that usual and I, I whenever somebody says you know I feel like as opposed to citing actual evidence, well <laughs> apparently Jones That's today clarified <laughs> right okay. Uh, Apparently, Alex Jones clarified today that he believes that most of these neo-Nazi and Klansmen protesters were Jewish actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he made a comment about how, like, hey, you take the hoods off and they all look oh, like god. the cast of Seinfeld. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. Can we just, like, not even talk about him? I it, like... <laughs> so, it was the Jews Trying to incite violence against the Jews. How does he get away with being that overtly horrible? Uh, because he's his own boss? Ugh, but I, I, it's just so transparently disgusting. It's... <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I think it's... Compl- he's, I, first of all, I don't even think he believes 99% of the shit that he spouts. Mm-hmm. I think, it's just I think John Oliver cynical. already covered this. He you said know, at a court of money. law that he's a... Uh, that he's... A performance artist. Yeah. So that's on the right. It's like professional wrestling, except people actually buy into this shit and run people. Oh, people buy into professional wrestling. Imagine if. Imagine if professional wrestling got you to bet on who won. Yeah. Well, professional (laughs) wrestling is is performance art, you know? It's not. I was joking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. It's it's scripted. It's made up. It's fake. It's phony. It's that's why I only watch MMA. Yeah, but I mean the thing about Alex Jones is just it's all about selling shit. It's not like I mean all this stuff about turning frogs gay and all that. It's it's entertainment, but people don't take it as entertainment. People go and shoot up pizza parlors because they 
because they get sucked into this okay, stuff. Okay, no one shot up the pizza parlor. Well, almost. I mean, he almost did. He brought a gun in. He shot off some rounds, didn't he? Uh, I think he fired once into the air or something. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty damn dangerous and irresponsible. And uh, right, I mean, firing it's... in a crowded place is always reckless and most often criminally reckless, as it was in this case. I'm, I'm gonna... I'm gonna... <laughs> that kind of shit. I just... I'm not... Yeah, I'm not defending the Pizzagate yeah. people here. I don't know. I'm defending I mean, the right. That's, I, I, I'm going to count one round as having shot up a pizza place. Mm. <laughs> well, I am, I am defending the right to uh, protect yourself while eating pizza. Well, no one's questioning that, Dan. Don't try to get me to defend something that I haven't said. <laughs> uh, anyway... I'm 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 sort of I'm 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 actually pretty neutral on on, on the Second Amendment. Well, so, I'm, yeah, it's a whole other story. But <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, so you and I come at the Seattle rally from two different perspectives, which is that you you had interactions with people uh, where you were ready to be like Meh, another Trump rally mm-hmm. wank motion, right? Uh, and then they and then Maya. A friend of ours more or less convinced you to actually pay attention. Well, and she started posting a bunch of updates, and I was and she was posted. She was doing Facebook Live, and you know it's interesting because when you actually watch it, you know, happening, you know, in real time, as opposed to reading about it, you know, in the in the media later, having them describe it and taking snippets, it is it it does it did sort of open my eyes a little bit to the way that the the media covers things is 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 basically designed to basically fit around people's biases. It's not that the re- the reporting is in and of itself biased, but it's every type of news coverage. I mean, you you can tell who their audience is. And so they, they're very selective in what they choose to well, tell we've, you. We've talked a lot about using the language of groups. Right. Earlier, before we started the record, uh, what's this guy's name? Joey Gibson? Yeah. Well, uh, Lel played for me the video of Joey Gibson's sort of big keynote Mm -hmm. as it were at this rally. And it was interesting. uh, The perspective I'm coming from into this is being a member of the group that was sort of the most targeted by the Charlottesville rally being a Jew. uh, My, my gut was basically just like, I don't want to pay attention to whatever's happening in Seattle. I don't want to know what they're saying because I'm like alarmed and I can only absorb so much crazy in a short period of time. I hear you. So we, we listened to the guy and I think we agree that like what he was saying, he spoke in the language of the Donald Trump supporter. He used their vocabulary, their verbiage. You know, he talked about, the elites and the mainstream media and the SJWs and the whatever and political correctness. But what he was really saying, if you filter that out, translate a little, his actual message for this mostly Trump supporting audience was we need to be, we need to be able to listen to people. We need to be able to listen to people. We need to be open to hearing what they have to say. And he clearly acted on that. You know, he was bringing people up who were counter-protesters and literally handing them the mic to speak. 
Which really, it, I was really taken aback by that. Yeah, he. We're not used to seeing like Trump supporters be, be no. tolerant. Well, he, right, he <laughs> like organized. In public. <laughs> he organized a rally for free speech, and God damn it, he meant it. Mm-hmm. It was a rally for free speech. That's what it was about, clearly. And I just, I, I maybe, maybe I'm just you know falling for some shtick or something, but I really appreciated what he did. The fact, I mean, it was people. I mean, people. I mean, he had he had people from BLM. He had people from Antifa. He had he had and he had he had um, a, a a Kurdish lady, huh. a Muslim Kurdish lady, get up there and talk, and they were and and they were. He basically said, you know, I'm not afraid of anyone's opinions or ideas. Anyone who wants to speak, here's a platform. Here's a microphone. Talk to everyone, and everyone for the most part was respectful. The only like, I mean, there I mean there were some times when people kind of like yeah, boo whatever, but. Nobody threatened anyone or or, or, or shouted well, them off the stage. It was it right, was not all... something you usually expect a whole bunch of Trump people if liberals get up and start talking to basically you know tell them to get lost and yeah that's... that was there's something different going on here. That's all that's all wonderful. Well, and that's it's, it's it's sort of a paradox really because the thing is, I mean, Trump himself would not go for that. Trump isn't introspective. You know, he doesn't ask himself complicated well, Trump, questions. Trump is, generally speaking, the most hilarious spokesperson for the people who support him. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much about, like, trolling and, you know, we have thick skins and we're going to poke fun at all these the fake weak news. lefties. Yeah. But Trump himself is such a thin-skinned, such a thin-skinned wuss. Oh, he, <laughs> you know, he, can, he can dish it out, but he can't take it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh... Like, he is just the weakest. Uh, but I, I was just going to say that the the thing that keeps coming back to me, though, is, like, it sounds like Joey Gibson did a wonderful thing and that he really reached out to try to do some healing uh, and that that was really his point more than anything else. However, timing. Mm-hmm. You can be really well-intentioned but if it like the lesson I learned from that fraternity stabbing experience was you can have the best plans and you can really go out of your way to to turn something into a positive, but sometimes you just have to suck it up and cancel. Yeah. And or represent the event as something else. Um, you know, the free speech rally is just like, you know, we're going to say, we're going to say whatever we want and to hell with everybody else. And it's just like, well, no, you know. Right. The idea, the, there's a lot of terminology that has been co-opted in all sorts of weird ways in the last year. And free speech has now somehow become a dirty term, uh, in both. Sort of a sort of word. Right, in sort of left-wing circles, in the mainstream media. You know, I had a, a friend of mine proposed in response to Charlottesville that the First Amendment be itself amended. That free speech... <laughs> yeah. Free speech be limited in the Constitution to exclude Nazis and Klansmen. Mm-hmm. And I see where he's coming from. I just don't... I think that that's ever okay. I just think it's counterproductive. Uh, I mean, you know, Germany is a is a different story. Whatever they have different. I 
I just think it would be a, a colossal They're waste of time and energy. I don't think it would accomplish the, the stated goals. I, I, I mean, I, just, I think uh, it's kind of ridiculous. But I mean, listening to Joey's talk about respect and people, you know, listening to each other well, and coming together. I mean, that if you, I mean, that's the kind of thing you would have expected to hear coming out of Obama, you know, like uh, eight years ago. It's uh, the exact same sentiment, but but directed towards the right. And that's, in, in a way, it makes me kind of hopeful. If somebody who speaks the language of the right can kind of speak in, that, in those kind of, in, 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 in those kind of terms of, of, of trying to bring people together and unite people, but not just like Trump be paying lips. I mean, Trump will say stuff like that, but he doesn't really mean it. One of the things that Joey Gibson said repeatedly was we need to be against hate 100% of the time. Yes. And he clarified that what he meant by that was that it needed to be against neo-Nazis, against uh, Klansmen types, against white supremacists, but also against closing one off to hearing other people. Mm-hmm. That trying to shout down right-wing marches is also hate that calling someone like him a neo-nazi for standing up for free speech that's a form of hate uh in and of itself that being against hate 100 percent of the time means you have to you have to stand up for freedom 100 percent of the time that's what the libertarian party stands yeah. for well, all of and, your freedoms all I, the time and i think he's and i think he's completely right yeah, <laughs> and I and I really hope that he can broaden his message and bring you know a more diverse crowd of people into his movement. Yeah, this seems right. the The hopeful takeaway from all of this is that Joey Gibson demonstrated uh, a level of maturity and worldliness and messaging that can be very helpful in the process of healing moving forward. That, however, doesn't change the fact that it was just really, really bad timing. Mm, well. <laughs> and and I think it could have been even more powerful if he had canceled and then gone on the news. Okay. I hear you. And if you he, know what? He's... Because he could have... He... God knows. <laughs> so, people would have been willing to interview him. And he could have said... People have been interviewing him. <coughs> but, well, he yeah, could have they're... said... This is about free speech, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the right time. An act of yeah. hate happened, but we need I, time to heal. I don't disagree with you, but I also, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. What, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of equivocating a little bit on it, but I don't know. Would it have made a lot of we're, different people? Would, would we're people allowed to have, disagree with Would people other. have really, would it have, eh, I don't know. Well, Whatever. I mean, people are going to be reacting so was it? Uh, so was it? So however, I mean. So was it clear that Joey Gibson was, um, pro-Trumper? No, I'm not sure. It it sounds like he got into his activism. This is what you were saying, mm-hmm. that he got into his activism as sort of a pro-Trumpian, but that he has migrated in a more in a broader, yeah. the f- more libertarian direction. The, the, the story he tells is that he was inspired to ge- become a, an activist when he witnessed um, Trump supporters basically being attacked 
and and berated and and bullied by um, by uh, by protesters at, when they were after after attending Trump's rallies, and then he himself, you know, he wasn't really sure what to do. So he grabbed like his Gadsden flag and his American flag and a Trump flag and went out on the streets and stood over the freeway and people started, you know, he just noticed how people reacted to that. And he got a, a lot of people were basically just angry at him and shouted at him and, you know, hurled abuses. And some people, you know, were, you know, giving him the thumbs up. But for the most part, you know, he lives in suburban Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Well, He's made, some people gave him a thumbs up. Yeah. Some people gave him something. But else. just yeah. the, the the amount of hatred that he that he felt directed at him simply for expressing a point of view supporting Trump. You know, he was just really taken aback at how political correctness is basically just been in 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 st- is is so powerful that you're base there. There's this attitude that in especially in liberal you know America that. You know, certain views are abhorrent, and you just should sure. not be allowed to express them in the public sphere. Or I, we will literally try to chase you out of town. I think the election cycle, the election cycle resulted in a, in, in a crisis of empathy mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, both the Trump and Clinton campaigns very very intentionally, I think, uh, tried to pitch themselves as, well, you better vote for me because the other person is a total lunatic who's <laughs> yeah, going to murder you in your sleep. That's a great, you know, uh, that's very inspirational, isn't it? Yeah, both both campaigns did that. And the end result is that we spent the better part of two years of our lives as a country <laughs> getting progressively conditioned to... To not have empathy for people who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. It became a thing. Just like, if you disagree, like, fuck you, you're awful, you either hate America, or you hate brown people, or you hate God, or whatever. Uh, we're having a crisis of empathy, mm. and maybe... The problem is it logically sort of made sense. Well, I reached out to Joey Gibson, because I, I was... I, I heard, I mean, as I actually listened to him give his speech, it, it became clear that, okay, he's not really, he's not a, he even said, I'm not a conservative, I'm not right wing, I'm a libertarian. I'm like, okay, are you really a libertarian? Or are you one of these people like Milo Yiannopoulos who calls themselves a libertarian, but he's really, you know, just a, you know, a Trump whack job. Whatever. Why is that a problem we have? Because there's a lot of people who use the term, describe themselves as libertarians who are the furthest thing from libertarian. So I reached out to him and here's what I, what I said to him. I sent him a message on Facebook. Joey, I was really impressed by what you did yesterday in actually engaging with the counter-protesters and trying to promote some semblance of civilized dialogue. The challenge, as I see it for you going forward, in in that the media has basically pegged you as quote-unquote alt-right and pro-Trump, that that reputation is going to dog you wherever you go unless you can diversify your movement and bring in more people from progressive backgrounds that lean libertarian. I can assure you that there are a lot of us out there who detest Trump and and most of what he stands for, but fervently believe in free speech and liberty. If you can get all these people together in one place and shed the quote-unquote alt-right label, then I think you may really have something powerful and potentially culture-changing. 
And so that was what I said to Joey. And he responded, like, like, a, like 20 minutes later, well, you are 100% correct. That is why I don't talk about Trump or throw Trump rallies anymore. The goal all along was to, was to slowly get away from the political message. If I don't get into divisive issues, it will help bring more people in. The problem is the media is doing everything it can to label us as white right wing. I do need more people to join who lean left. That's what he said. I think his heart's in the right place. That's a, that's my sense I get. <laughs> my question, my my question, my media response was, where does he stand in immigration? Yeah, why? Well, I, I didn't want to ask. I mean, he specifically said he wanted to stay away from. I almost don't really care because that's sort of like beside the point. The point is to listen to each other, and to be, <laughs> and and to, and to and to agree that free speech is a good thing. You know, I and we can have a discussion about immigration once we agree that. You know, we this is something we can actually talk about rationally. Fair. Well, one of the one of the lessons I may have said this on the podcast before. One of the lessons I learned from being a nonprofit lobbyist briefly in D.C. was that people there are less uh, in, constantly infuriated than you would mm -hmm. expect, and that people of all sorts work together. On those areas where they where they agree, yeah. Uh, right wing and left wing groups, like uh, the Religious Coalition Against Torture, is a coming together of religious groups, left wing and right wing, who all agree that torture is bad. So even though they have wildly different views on things like abortion and gay marriage, because they agree on torture, they work on torture together. Yeah. Uh, DC is full of that. People make, you know, they make these temporary agreements where they're just like, okay, we disagree on this, we're not going to talk about it. Let's mm -hmm. respect each other. Let's work in the places where we agree. And and we don't see a lot of that when it comes to shit like, you know, congressmen coming home and doing yeah. ads and all that. But that is mostly how work gets done there. Um, and we need more of that you know, yeah. we need more of that on Main Street, and as certainly as much as we do on K Street. Uh, uh, one thing Joey did say is that he was, you know, fine with like gay marriage and, and stuff like that. So this so. is a thing I was going to say is that the the danger zone though is with a lot of the people. The reason that libertarian and alt right are getting conflated is because. On many economic issues, libertarians and the alt-right agree. Mm -hmm. On issues of being anti-establishment, libertarians and the alt-right agree. And on most social issues, you know, transgender rights being yeah. a huge glaring problem, well, yeah. on most social issues, the alt-right and libertarians do actually agree. Well, yeah, and there's I've noticed there's an increasing acceptance and and, and uh, proliferation of, of gay men in, in the alt right. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's a big thing. Uh, parts, but not all, of the LGBT community are embraced by the alt right. Mm -hmm. uh, Trans people being the glaring exception at the moment. Yeah, uh, and it's. And it's weird, and there I think there are people 
coming at it from both directions who are saying, well, we look so much like we're the same because of these issues that why don't we adopt each other? That, you know, people say that Milo Yiannopoulos is is a libertarian, although he he doesn't like using that word for himself because of his social stance and because he believes in free markets. Uh, People will label libertarians alt-right, and some of those libertarians say, you know what, whatever, sure, I am. Mm -hmm. Because they agree on those issues. But the thing, something that I really appreciate about Nick Sarwark, the chair of the Libertarian Party, is how clear he has been on those issues where there is no connection. And the one of the biggest is immigration. That the Libertarian Party always has been and always will be in favor of open immigration yep. policy. Mm-hmm. Because people should be allowed to leave their shitty situations <laughs> and move into better ones. Yep. You know, if they can, if they, if they choose to and they have the resources to, we shouldn't stand in their way. And that issue feels like a small but divisive issue but it's not because it actually marks the difference between someone who is accepting of other races cultures and creeds and the Klansmen and the nazis if you're open borders immigration versus closed borders immigration it can feel like a small single issue but it's actually indicative of a much larger cultural issue which is to what degree is Western civilization or American society dependent on white supremacy. The people who advocate for closed borders aren't advocating for closed borders because of jobs. Some of them are. Some of them are. But a lot of them are because they feel like a decreased, the decreasing white percentage of the population is an existential threat to America. Yeah. And the people who say, no, we can have people moving around as much as possible, and someday everyone's going to look like Brazil. Hmm. Like, that is is also us saying, and by the way, we think that American cultural values are so strong that they are not dependent on race. To me, that's what one of the defining characteristics of the alt-right is ethno-nationalism. Yeah. As opposed to just... Hoorah, USA, I love America because freedom is great and whatever. I mean, that kind of patriotism or American exceptionalism, I I don't think is nearly as toxic as ethno-nationalism. And a certain amount of it maybe is a little bit healthy. I'm an American exceptionalist. I think we're the greatest country on earth. I guess it depends on how exceptional. (laughs) But yeah. But that's, that's kind of... That that I that I can I can be down with you know to a certain extent it's when but the idea that we should have a white ethno state like Nazi Germany style well that's right. I have that's where I uh, where you lose me and so if people like you know right like of, like the Proud Boys you know want to be yeah. like okay I love America but by the way that's talk about a group that is <laughs> gay friendly <laughs> well being being taken out. If the if the if the ethno nationalists uh, were to take over of the five people mm-hmm. currently sitting in this house, three would be murdered or deported. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. When you hear that <laughs> a lot about people defending Trump, well, you know his 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 wife is uh, converted to Judaism and and is married to a Jew. Therefore, you know, 
No, it's with Trump. It's all just a matter of are you are if you're if you're in favor of Trump, then how bad could you be? You must just be misunderstood. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's exactly <laughs> think that's his r- thing. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, if you like me, you can't be that bad. Mm-hmm. But I think we've actually covered this topic pretty well, Ben. I think we started out a little slow, but I think we hit our stride. So if any of you were starting at the end of the podcast and working your way backwards, well, I think. <laughs> How does yeah. that work? <laughs> Do you have I, anything you'd like to add, Chris? No, I, actually, I was I, I was going to remind you to uh, tell us about your big news. I don't know if I want to talk about that. Uh, I think we should do a dramatic reading. I don't have it on me at the moment. Have we done that before? It's on the dramatic. desk right there. Oh, okay. So why don't you talk about Is it the dog hair? Why don't you talk about it then? Well, not the actual one. Not the actual oh, one. That's a, it's an that's that's oh, an, the a copy you made. That's you at the bank in a history of the, of the of the SOP. That's at the bank at the safe deposit box. Wait, what's the deposit box number? Uh, Where is it, Chris? You said it was here. No, on the desk, the desk, the desk, the desk, the desk. Many years ago, in can, you, can we give a little background then on the um on the on the SOP? Uh oh wow. Many years ago, in 1971, uh, when the libertarian movement was sort of a a cobbling together of various individualist uh, philosophies, philosophers, writers, academics, economists, whatever, uh, there came a critical moment where a group of these people decided that they could no longer engage with the duopoly the democratic party and the republican party and they needed to find they needed to found something of their own and they came together to form the libertarian party uh and among these people uh was dr john hospers who was the chair of the philosophy department at what school is it usc Ooh, um, is it i think something i i don't have his wikipedia article up in front of me forgive me but he's a he's definitely a, a libertarian you know intellectual and i mean you if you look up on, on youtube and look at his videos he's you know he was he i know he was he was close friends with ayn rand so dr john hospers was a philosopher by trade i know he's from la uh he was a philosopher he was an academic uh he he was the Libertarian Party's first uh, presidential, uh, nom- nom- first yep. nominee uh, for president. University of Southern California. Okay. USC. He was mm-hmm. the chair of the philosophy department, focusing on aesthetics and ethics. He was also the first, uh, I don't know openly, but he was uh, he was later an openly gay man. So he might be considered the first openly gay man to run for president. Other than James Buchanan. Well, okay, openly. I don't know the whole whether it was open or not. Anyway, yeah, that's a whole thing. Also, the, his uh, vice presidential running mate. So, so this is the was a woman, way right? Before so, Geraldine Ferraro, Tony Nathan, uh, an attorney who showed up. So they had this Libertarian Party convention. Yeah, let's get to the choice. And they had the Libertarian <laughs> Party convention. And they had to come together about on what what were they really going to stand for, and they decided that it was important not just to have a platform, but to have a statement of principles. Something which could not be changed not, in the future. Not easily. That least. would define the party forever as 
what it really stands for. It's like, it's the closest thing I could relate it to is like the preamble to the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, and it did... Uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the various, you know, delegates at this first convention, you know, they all came up with their own proposals, you know, their, their own drafts for what they wanted the, 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 the preamble to the statement of principles yeah, some to of them say. were terrible. Yeah, if you look on the if you look online, you can find all the different ones. But Doctor Hospers, he was the one who actually came up with the the winning entry that they actually ended up adopting with some slight oh. revisions. So, I was going to say as a fun little tidbit, Tony Nathan, who's a lawyer, showed up with a press pass and ended up becoming the vice presidential <laughs> candidate. Uh, and she actually, because the Libertarian ticket of Hospers and Nathan received an electoral college vote from a Republican a faithless, faithless elector, elector yeah. in Virginia who he just couldn't, he couldn't vote for Nixon. Uh, because of that, Tony Nathan actually became the first woman and the first Jew to get an electoral college vote. Uh, and that's cool. Not enough people know that. So why are we talking about this? We are talking about this because Lel, Lel found and purchased on eBay the original first draft of the Statement of Principles typed up by John Hospers. Yes, it is. With it, handwritten notes in the yes, margins. Yes, it is the, his original typewritten draft that he, and, and, and with his own like handwritten little edits. Yeah, and a coffee stain. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, it's the, amazing. Yeah. So previously there had been a really bad scan of this that we've that you can find online that existed before and i'm not my guess i don't know for sure is that the version that we've seen in the past is um was probably like a xerox copy that was made around the time well i think it was scanned then i think it was xerox i mean it was 1972 there were no computer scanners but i think someone probably just made a xerox copy of it and that's and then he held on to the original and uh the so um, I believe. Well, was, you have. I heard Karen Ann told this story yes, that you yeah. heard. Because I actually asked. Time. I asked the the eBay seller um, how where she got it from, <laughs> and um, I have the story that she gave. If you give me one second, I'll, I'll read it exactly. But um, where is it? Hold on, I just have to find it real quick. Here we go. I'll let it this okay, so the pr- I asked her, okay, where the hell did you get this thing, basically? And she said, um, I'll be more than happy to tell you about it. My mom, Shirley Gottlieb, ran the Libertarian Party office out of her home in the 1970s. My mom and dad had many meetings at their home and came to personally know Dr. John Hospers. I remember being in high school and coming home to a house full of people in the living room. My mom recruited me to go down to downtown Los Angeles to help count votes when the party was trying to obtain uh, ballot access. And then she goes on to say, I didn't know that my parents even had it. I've been going through the house after my dad's passing in March. I lost my mom back in 2005. And came across a picture frame containing a black and white photocopy of Ayn Rand. It seemed... (laughs) odd to me because it wasn't even a oh, photograph like it code because it seemed odd to me because it wasn't even a photograph more like a photocopy and i couldn't understand why they would have framed it when i took it apart i found the document you now have so apparently her her mom 
put it behind this picture. Apparently, Hospers gave it to her mom, who then she just stuck it behind this photocopy of Ayn Rand and never bothered to tell anybody. Or her dad, I mean, anyway. It's amazing. And she just decides to sell it. And and Karen Ann came across it on eBay just on a lark. And and there was just a, there was kind of a crappy out of focus picture that she put on eBay. And that's how we, they discovered the coffee stand. But this is the actual original. I mean, you can, once you look at it and hold it in your hand, you can tell it really is the real deal. I mean, the paper, you can see the watermark on the, the, the it's like cotton mm. paper, typing paper from the 1970s. Mm. It's it's i'll show it to you later it's it's in my safe deposit box now i didn't uh, want to just have it lying around the house do you want me to read it or should you would you like to read it go ahead uh, do you not you see how to read the the inserted part right you might want to just look at that at the bottom where he inserted the sentence and crossed out the other part i'll read it if you'd like it's it's a beautiful statement let me just read it i'll do it yeah, you should read it. So it's, this is this it's is yours. So it this belongs is the preamble to, to the statement of principles. It's not that long. It's basically it's one page double spaced. So it begins. It says at the top, preamble, John Hospers, June nineteen seventy two. We, the members of the Libertarian Party, challenge the cult of the omnipotent state and defend the rights of individuals. We hold that each person has the right to exercise sole dominion over his own life and possesses the right to live his life in whatever way he chooses so long as he does not forcibly interfere with the equal rights of others to live their lives as they choose. Governments throughout the world have to varying degrees operated on the opposite principle that the state has the right to use and dispose of the lives of individuals and the fruits of their labor. Even within the United States, all political parties other than our own grant to government the right to control and regulate the life of the individual and seize part or all of the fruits of his labor without his consent. We, on the contrary, deny the right of any government to do these things and hold that the sole function of government is the protection of the rights of individuals vis-a-vis, one, the right to life, and accordingly, we approve, we approve legislation that prohibits the initiation of force against others, such as killing, maiming, injuring, and all forms of physical assault on life and limb. Two, the right to liberty of speech and action. And accordingly, we oppose all attempts to abridge the freedom of speech and press, as well as government censorship in any form. And three, the right to property, and accordingly, we approve legislation that protects such rights, such as patent and copyrights, and legislation which prohibits confiscation, nationalization, robbery, trespass, fraud, or misrepresentation, libel, and slander. Since government has only one legitimate function, the protection of individual rights, we oppose any encroachment of government into the area of voluntary or contractual relations among men other than to protect such relations. Men should be left free by government to deal with one another voluntarily as free traders on the uncoerced market. Consequently, the only economic system compatible with man's rights is laissez-faire capitalism. So fascinating. Because... That this was approved in 1972, and then it was changed exactly once. Mm -hmm. They wrote into the rules 
of the party. They also made the language a little gender neutral. Well, that's what I was about to say. So they changed this once. They wrote it into the rules of the party that it could be changed with a majority vote only once in 1974 at the following convention, post-election, but that after that time, it would require seven-eighths of all Libertarian Party members to... Or the delegates, right? Or delegates. Of delegates. delegates To change... the statement of principles. Seven eighths so, of libertarians <laughs> agreeing on anything is pretty. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a lot. Uh, it has to be a pretty uncontroversial thing. <laughs> yeah, to so mild, to put it mildly, what's interesting is what they did change in the in sort of the version we have today. The Dallas Accord. The ver- right. The two big things are one gender neutral language. The current version approved in seventy four. That is the amendment to the seventy two version. Is entirely gender neutral. And one thing about this, look at the very first sentence. Notice what he crossed out and changed. Yeah. Yeah, I find that fascinating. So here is the original, what he originally typed was, We, the members of the Libertarian Party, challenge the cult of the omnipotent state and defend the freedom and dignity of man. And he crossed out freedom freedom and dignity of man and replaced it with rights of individuals. And Isn't the, that amazing to just see that? Yeah, I the mean, thought process. It's one thing to see it like in a book, or but I mean, the actual paper, like he actually is like, no. I wonder if someone suggested it. It just you, it's just amazing. Well, and in the final version, uh, instead of sen- instead of saying uh, rights of individuals, it says rights of the individual. Right. Uh, well, and I think most people understand man in that context to mean mankind. Yeah. As in humankind. Yeah, well that's yeah. the funny thing, is like freedom the freedom and dignity of man is this really powerful and evocative statement. Yeah. And the it rights echoes, of the it echoes the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, and the the rights of the individual is actually sort of a less evocative statement to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I find that fascinating. But the, then he leaves all the references to man on and the rest, but he decides to change the first sentence. Yeah. Well, then he, freedom and dignity as opposed to rights of individuals I, I get, get, he's basically well, because that's what the libertarian party is all about is the rights of individuals yeah but the freedom of dignity in man is is like oh it's it's about the collective rather than the the specific and the individual yeah that's true so, yeah he went from a collective to an individual uh, which is very much sort of our thing the the other thing as you pointed out is is the other thing that was changed from the 1972 version to the 1974 version was uh, references to uh, the sole the sole responsibility of government is blank. Government has one legitimate function. The Dallas Accord, to which Lel alluded, was the agreement that was made between the more mainstream classical liberals and minarchists, the libertarians who believe that government should exist, just be very small. Mm-hmm. There was an agreement made between them and the anarchists who believe that a perfect society would function with zero government. And the, the agreement is that in Libertarian Party documents, they should never state whether or not government should exist. 
Yeah, uh, like, for, like governments where they exist, as opposed yeah. to where governments exist. <laughs> right. So that's the thing is like this says it's a very subtle nod to the to the anarcho capitalist wing of right, the party. Right. It's subtle, but it's important. So like this draft from Doctor taking Hospers, it for granted that uh, governments need to right. exist. So Doctor Hospers writes. Since government has only one legitimate function, right. the protection of individual rights. So he really believed that government did have a legitimate function, that its function was individual, was that protection was the of individual only, rights. That was the only possible thing. Right. Whereas in the 74 version, which is the current one, mm -hmm. it says, since governments, when instituted, must not violate individual rights, right. etc. That's, yeah, it's this clear difference of like... If it makes them happy. <laughs> what do you think Chris any thoughts on this um this is gonna be a... are we getting a little wonky for you yeah a little bit this <laughs> All is right. gonna be a, this we're, is gonna be a big thing for those people who accuse us of not being real libertarians, I think mm -hmm. we just spent yeah. 20 minutes nerding out over well, Dr. Yeah, John Well, yeah, I Hospice. mean, hey, I mean, how many of you have the original <laughs> copy of John Hospice's yeah. statement? Suck of on that, everyone else. <laughs> and by the way, for anyone who's interested, I will be donating it to the, to the historical committee. And my hope is that they will exhibit it permanently at the, uh, at the party headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. And for those of you who are interested in seeing it and will be attending our next uh, convention next year in New Orleans, uh, the plan is to have it on display at our 2018 convention in New Orleans. Um, and I'll, I'm working with the party leadership right now to try to make that happen. This is super cool. I just want a selfie with it. Okay. I mean, I, we can go down to the bank and we can get it out and look at it. Oh, I totally want to do that. Okay, totally. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just, I, I, I just could not. It was making me feel a little uncomfortable just having it in my desk drawer. Like, what if my house catches fire? What if something happens? What if yeah. something random? I just, I, I felt like that. when you, if, when you have something like that in your possession, you need to keep it safe. You know. Yeah. And I so I fair. just, I mean, I was laying awake at night thinking, is it okay? Oh yeah, screw this. I'm moving to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's in my safe deposit box right now. So. It's in the safe custody of Wells Fargo. Wells Whoever Fargo. Libertarian can trust. That's, that's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> All right. Well, this uh, exciting times. Mm -hmm. That cheered me up. Yay. Uh, <laughs> I uh, has it. Well, Precious. folks, uh, this has been another episode. and A very precious episode. A very precious episode. We hope you all have a precious, precious. I just want to say this to anyone <laughs> who's planning on protesting on any side. Uh, be and safe. There are many sides, many sides. Be safe. Don't punch anyone. Please don't. Yeah. At least, Let's, at least not in only in self defense if it's absolutely yeah. necessary. Uh. Be kind. Rewind. Uh, all right. Well, and, and to all our trolls out there who comment on our Facebook page, the precious snowflakes thing—it's—it's it's a joke, okay? No one, no <laughs> one who's making comments about the name of our podcast is ever going to get to this point in the episode. I mean, if you're just skipping to the end and listening to the last minute, it's like. We're being facetious, okay? Don't let it trigger you, please. Yeah, please don't be triggered <laughs> by our name. Uh, yeah, we only... 
we we yeah, we only listen to comments if you've actually listened to the show. We're not those. We're not actually the snowflakes that Tommy Laren is screaming about. Well, maybe we are. I don't know, but that's the thing. Eh. Um, <laughs> we're not. We're not. We're not. We're not endorsing snowflakeism or <laughs> venerating yeah, it. We're very much the opposite. Yes, exactly. uh, anyway, well. Suck it up, y'all. <laughs> I'm Ben Phelps. And I'm Lelius Rose. And explaining the joke, Chris Villarino. We are your precious, precious snowflakes. snowflakes. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.